danger is stealing in as relapse sums above the den. It's Hello and welcome to episode 339 of the Thinking Sticker Podcast from Owings Mills, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus, joined by Nate Mavis in Melrose, Massachusetts. Good evening, Nate. Good evening, Andrew. How are you? I'm, I'm well. I've been looking forward to this actually all day. It's been sort of a dreary day. I never fully woke up. Uh, and this, I, I anticipate this being the highlight of my day today. Ah, fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Also, it's a very special episode. It's a holiday episode of sorts. Oh, that's a good way of it. Yeah, this is this is sort of a Thanksgiving episode. Yeah, I, I do this every year where I do a Thanksgiving Twitter thread or blog post or something. And by every year, I mean like for the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, stuff I liked. What did I like this year? Yeah, I think that's a good practice. I think, I mean, obviously, like, I think gratitude in general is a is, is a good practice. But I think in particular, like, sharing stuff that you like is, I mean, it's good for you. But obviously, a lot of other people have the potential to benefit from it. And I mean, especially on you know, Twitter or other social media, there there tends to be sort of a focus on, on the negative or like complaining about things that we that we don't like. And I think um, both putting it out there for other people to experience and you know, in some cases, the, the creator of things that you like gets to see that you tag them and are recommending them to people. And that's a, a nice little boost to the people who are um, providing value in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got like domains of things uh, that that I like. What 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 genre of stuff do you want to start with here? Let me actually start. Um, I'll just uh, I'll give a shout out to Morty, who's the person who suggested doing this. And this is a, an excerpt from an email from Morty. So so, so correspondence, podcast correspondence is uh, what is the category of thing. That we're <laughs> That's right. Yeah, this, is, <laughs> this is one of my favorite podcast related emails I've received this year. Um, Morty said, uh, as we get closer to the end of the year, I'll make you an offer. Do a year-end non-poker episode, books, podcasts, TV shows, other discussions and recommendations, etc., and I'll donate $200 to charities of your choice. The truth is, I mean, I can be convinced to do something this self-indulgent. I mean, I certainly am not going to say no to a charitable donation. Honestly, just like, just I mean, just having an excuse to do a self-indulgent episode like this, uh, I mean, that's good enough for me. If, if one listener requests it, you know, at least one person will be satisfied with it. Yeah, yeah, and like, it's fun. I like to think about things. I like lists like much, much, much more than you do. I think. <laughs> and, um, I'm excited for this, and and a big thank you uh, from me to to Morty also. Um, I know he, he did say non-poker, so we don't need to dwell on this, but maybe we can start a few of our favorite like poker-related things. Um, I mean, we talked a lot about you know, various strategy things and uh, you know, had a lot of different authors on the show. Uh, but I mean, for me, the one poker book that I find most eminently rereadable and the one that I most enjoy, like, for, I mean, generally reading a poker book for me is not primarily about enjoyment. I mean, there might be things that I enjoy about it, but it's not the kind of enjoyment that I get from reading for pleasure or reading you know, reading fiction. Even when reading fiction is work, it's a different experience than, than reading a poker book. And I think the poker book that comes closest to providing a little bit of, sort of literary value along with your poker is uh, Tommy Angelo's Elements of Poker. Um, I also think it's, you know, it's not a coincidence that that is one of the more 
it's it's a book that ages. I mean, generally, you're not going back uh, 10 plus years for poker strategy books. There's a lot of things from that era that might be right. But in general, like we just are our understanding of poker strategy has become a lot more sophisticated over over time. And there's going to be better resources than things that are that old. But I think in the case of elements of poker, I think it's a lot more timeless because it's more about how the like think about yourself as a player and just sort of how to be at the table. And I, I, I've read it cover to cover three times and I've revisited other sections of it at, at times. And I really feel like I get something genuinely new out of it each time I go back through it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I would definitely divide my poker career into before and after I read that book. It's, it's so fundamental that I almost don't even think about it anymore. Um, and, and maybe I should think about it more also like I'm not, really even a poker player these days um, <laughs> given the other things I have going on. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's really seminal um, for me. The poker book I appreciated this year, the most that except for ones that you wrote <laughs> um, are uh, is, is again, it's a classic about the practice of poker. It's Barry Greenstein's uh, ace on the river and I just think that's a, a deeply underrated book. Again, I get something new out of it every time. I think I've gone on this riff before on the air, but um, for me, it's just an outgrowth of the Stoic handbook tradition. You know, it's it's of a piece with Seneca and and Epictetus, and um, he's just so honest. And it's so much about the sorts of discipline that you need, and the sorts of errors you can make, and the uh, the 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 capacities of soul that you need to develop to be a poker player. Um, I, I think it's the most underrated book uh, in the history of poker writing that I know about, or at least of that subgenre. So, um, yeah, that's me. You, you've convinced me I should revisit it. it. It's been a very long time since I read that book, and I don't remember it being a, a mind-blowing experience, but I was also quite early in my poker career at the time. So I imagine, I mean, at this point, I barely even remember the content of it. So I'm, I'm uh, sounds like certainly due for a reread of that. Yeah, and there's always the question about what the fit is between a style and, you know, me who's like in a position to read it. I think things connect with different people differently, and there's something about the way he writes that resonates with me, and, and there's a directness to it. And I'm not sure this is something he writes about, but like the sort of thing he'll write is, you know, sometimes I bluff too much because I'm sad I missed the flop or something. And, I, I just find that sort of confessional tone to be like very profound and, and useful to me and like deeply honest. And I really like books that are like that, but like, you know, it, it, it there's a fine line between that and just, you know, somebody ranting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, I thought it was great and really careful. And I, I think it's a really valuable book. Good, good. Um, any, anything else poker related you want to talk about? I mean, your books are really good. Your books are the best books. Yeah, hey, that, that's I, what I was looking for. Thank you, Nate. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, your stuff is good. Your stuff is good. What can I say? <laughs> well, let's let's uh, step outside of. Thank you. But uh, let's let's step outside of poker then. Just you know, book books and and I didn't get the sense from Morty that he necessarily wanted stuff you know only that we read this year or um you know that that only that was published this year. I mean, obviously there's. You know, Infinite Jest or David Foster Wallace we've talked about on the show before, but just you know, book book recommendations in general. 
Yeah, I mean, I I can like use this year as a jumping off point. That's like an easy way for me to get a, a toehold into this question. I mean, can you pick a subgenre for books like fiction, nonfiction, highbrow, lowbrow? Like, uh, let's let's start highbrow fiction. Highbrow fiction, um, crime and punishment. That was great. <laughs> uh, finished that one. I thought East of Eden was fantastic and exactly like what an American novel should be. I thought it, you know, really. Um, I, I had avoided it before because I don't know a lot about the Bible and I don't know a lot about mythology and, and those are obvious influences there. Um, but even not knowing a lot about those things, I thought it was great and epic in all, all the ways, uh, a big long novel should be an epic, but, um, you know, just episodic enough, but also with a lot of continuity, just funny enough. I thought it was deep and wonderful. And, and again, everything an American novel should be, uh, crime and punishment. Fantastic. It's, it's the only one of the, you know, capital G great Russian novels I've ever read. So I, I can't put it in that kind of comparative perspective, but, um, you know, there's something about psychological insight that Dostoevsky can do that nobody else can. And it's great. It's just, Super, super, super great. Uh, highly recommended. What about you, Highbrow? You, you, you do any Highbrow this year? Um, I have not done a lot of Highbrow this year specifically. I will say I've um, I've given myself more permission than I usually do with how much has been going on this year. I mean, mostly just the, the pandemic. And um, I, I've, I've been looking for a lot more escapism in my yeah. um, in, in my reading and my content intake generally this year than I, I typically do. Um, and I have not like in the past, my taste in in literature and also television and other things has tended towards the kind of um, the dark, <laughs> you know, or, or the, the, the weighty, uh, much like you know, crime and punishment being one example of that. Um, and I've, I've steered away from that stuff somewhat this year. Um, yes, yeah, so in, in terms of things specifically from this year, I don't think I have actually read very much in, in the vein of uh, highbrow literature. I did finally read, and I thought this was, was pretty good, um, I read Cloud Atlas, which I don't know if that would quite count as, as highbrow, but it's fairly literary. And um, it was mentioned in, the, in our episode, or in my episode, I think you were not on this one, with Douglas Stewart, who is a, um, a literary agent, and uh, Douglas Stewart uh, represented David Mitchell, uh, represents David Mitchell, who's the author of Cloud Atlas, and he had really um, talked up Cloud Atlas as, uh, as a novel that one ought to read. Um, and I, I did get around to reading that this year. I think that was a good, um, I mean, it's not not heavy, but it was a lot more readable than something like um I don't think it asks as much of you as Crime and Punishment does, for instance, and I think I uh, still get a decent amount out of reading it. Yeah, good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, lowbrow next or or nonfiction next or. Um, let's let, let's step back from just this year. Oh, so like highbrow stuff generally. Yeah, just um, like what are, what are some of your favorite uh, novels? I think like Cormac McCarthy, very underrated. The Crossing, I thought was gorgeous. Um, I think he's just a wonderful, deep, insightful person in in the the top echelon of, of American novelists, which is you know, in American novels is like one of my favorite genres. Um, so I think I, I may have told this story on air before, but you you or I, I read at your urging uh, all the pretty horses, which I did think was very good. But um, I had previously read 
The Road and uh, Blood Meridian, which for people who don't know, so people who, who don't know Cormac McCarthy, you, you might best know his stuff from um, No Country for Old Men is based on a, a Cormac McCarthy book, as is the movie The Road, obviously. But um, it's, it, it's those are all very violent books. <laughs> they are they are very intensely violent, um, upsetting in many ways books. And uh, I was reading All the Pretty Horses, and I was like, wow, this is really, this is like kind of pastoral and, and quiet and quite a change of pace. From, oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so that's good. My favorite novel, I think, is... Um, Pride and Prejudice, uh, and that's something that poker players. It, it's like very strange. I know Jane Austen is very like feminized, and and for whatever reason, it's just like a thing for girls or whatever these days, or at least in America. Like it, it's, you know, people tell stories of of teaching classes on Jane Austen, and it's like ninety percent women who show up, and I just don't get it, except for the obvious reasons. But even those don't make a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, that's my favorite novel. It's fantastic. I get something new out of it every time. Also, closely relatedly, my favorite adaptation of anything into you know TV or stage ever is the BBC Pride and Prejudice, the famous one with Colin Firth. Those are not um, exotic tastes, or except maybe in poker, but yeah, you know, in, in, <laughs> that's the, those are not sort of fancy esoteric answers to that question, but they're honest ones. Uh, yeah, Pride and Prejudice. That's another one I've not read, I, and I meant to say that when you were talking about. Um, Crime and Punishment, which which I have read, and I certainly wouldn't say I got nothing out of it, but I really have a hard time engaging with novels, I mean, just older novels in general, things that are more than about 100 years old. Um, I find it kind of difficult to uh, engage with, just because usually the the authors have a somewhat different audience than you in, in mind. They're doing something somewhat different than what more contemporary novels are doing. They're written in, in different sort of language. I think, you know, that problem gets accentuated when you're also uh, crossing cultures. So, you know, like older Russian literature is harder for me to engage with than older American literature. And I've, I've read a fair amount of that stuff. I've, I've enjoyed it. I know that I'm not getting as much out of it as I, as I could be. And part of it is probably just a laziness on my part of not being willing to, um, to, to put in the work, but that's one thing that stymied me. And I've not read Jane Austen since high school. Um, and, I just I tend not to read stuff that's that's that old for reasons that I I don't feel entirely good about but it's sure. just I never feel like I'm getting as much out of it as I should be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say Pride and Prejudice is a pretty good candidate for trying to make an exception for um for a few reasons. One is that just empirically I didn't like Jane Austen in high school and then I love Jane Austen as an adult. So, you know, maybe you're the same way. Second is that like, yes, there's a lot of that specific stuff. It's like, why do these people care who's having tea with whom? And like, <laughs> what, what the fuck? It's like, Oh my God, the estate is entailed away. It's like, what, what, what does that mean? But so there's, there's some of that. And like, you'll, you'll want to read the occasional footnote to know what's going on. But like, basically it's this amazing love story full of like, or, or just, more than that, it's just this like wonderful, lively story full of all these characters. There's a ton of humor. There's a ton of like really engaging set pieces. Um, and like, yes, it's also significant and wonderful and and weighty. And there are all these sort of insightful treatments of timeless human themes in them. But like, it's also just this incredible, super super fun story. Um, and uh, that that I would recommend to anyone. 
Although, again, when I recommend it to poker players, oftentimes um, they don't like it. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go read Pride. Go read Pride and Prejudice, or at least like if you're gonna read Jane Austen, I would start with Pride and Prejudice. People like to be contrarian about this. It's like, nah, Mansfield Park is better for the. No, just read Pride and Prejudice. It's like, <laughs> like the, way more the fun. hipster Jane Austen. Yeah, it's like it's like really long. It's like it's just. You know, I mean, yeah, like, yes, like Emma is great. Like read that too, but like no, like Pride and Prejudice. It's the awesome one with the awesome characters and the awesome story, and it's super fun. Like so, that's you know, it's it's simultaneously like for me the richest and also the one that like has most of the pleasures of just a nice story i'm um um, i'm partial and i i think i also mentioned this on the on the douglas stewart episode um so i mean you mentioned east of eden um which i actually have not read and, and i guess i should um I like, uh, or you know, one of my favorite books, which is you know, not at all a controversial choice, is um, The Great Gatsby. And I don't even know, I imagine a fair number of people listening to this. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's my number. High school reading. Yeah, that's my number two. I didn't read it in high school, but now I read it every summer, and I think it's amazing. Um, can I tell you my favorite moment from that? Uh, yeah, or not my favorite moment. Like, my favorite moments are, like, the awesome ones. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, every time I read it, I, I get I find something new and there's this like amazing moment where Nick Carraway and, and Gatsby get pulled over. Gatsby's driving and the cop you know pulls him over and, and Gatsby pulls out his wallet and Nick for a second thinks that he's going to pull out the photo of him at Oxford that establishes that Gatsby is an Oxford man and that this will convince the and, and that that and like Gatsby's intention is doing that and doing that is to impress the cop in such a way that will get him out of the ticket and it's like boy that's like can you imagine <laughs> like trying to get out of a speed ticket by like convincing a police officer that you're an Oxford man <laughs> it's like, no 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 officer <laughs> I went to Oxford door <laughs> So, uh, you know, the 20s, the 20s were a different time is what I'm saying. <laughs> Go ahead, though. You, you were going to say something. Well, so I think that's a good example of a novel that um, you, despite you falling right around the line of the, my, you know, I can't engage with stuff more than 100 years old. It's not quite 100 years old yet, but uh, I think that reads like a much more contemporary novel than it is like that. That feels to me like it could have been written a lot more recently than it was. Yes. I mean, it's very much of the jazz age. Um, I think sometimes people get it wrong by linking it too much to the jazz age. Like you, you never forget the setting. You never forget that this is like in the twenties. Um, but, but yeah, that's right. I, I, I don't feel any deep barriers to understanding it. Um, yeah, so I like that a lot. I like, although it's been a long time since I, there's a lot of books that, I liked when I was younger. Um, in some cases, I've revisited them and found them a little bit wanting. So I've been reluctant to revisit some other <laughs> favorite ones for fear of ruining them for myself. So like Catcher in the Rye is a good example of one that I think that's like a fairly common opinion about Catcher in the Rye, that it's you know, a very good book for adolescents or you know young adults to read. Um, and it doesn't hold up quite so well when you <laughs> revisit it with a more, I mean, it's still a very good book, but um, there was a time when I would have given you that as my favorite book and, and it would not you know, crack the top 25 now. Yeah. Um, and there's some other, like uh, the razor's edge. Uh, I would, I would put in that category. I think it's a somewhat similar book to catcher in the rye. Um, what's the, uh, the clockwork orange. Um, yeah. 
I think that's a, it's a very I mean, I, I don't know that literarily it would stand up quite as well. But one of the things that's really interesting about the clockwork art, I imagine far more people have seen the movie than have, have read the book and the movie tries to do this in its own way, but this is harder to do in, in a film. Um, Clockwork Orange is another book, like Cormac McCarthy, that's tremendously violent and contains some very upsetting scenes. Uh, And the book is written in a... I don't know what it is. It's not a different language. It's, it's not. It's more than just a dialect of English, though. I mean, it, it's very disconcerting when you start from the first page because there's a lot of words that you don't recognize. And so I mean, one thing that I think is interesting is just that the author does a very good job of you do have to sort of trust that it's going to make sense as you read because the first couple of pages, you're like, what are these words? I don't know what it means to vidy something. Um, so you sort of have to, to get into it and, and like trust that the author is you know, expert enough to um present this in a way that it will that by the time you get to the end of the book you're reading it as though this were your native language that you're they're reading it's, it's i think it's just an impressive feat that he's managed to write in this um in, in this sort of pseudo dialect in the first place but it also has the effect of distancing you a little bit from the more violent scenes um, i think just like even though you know that a certain word might mean rape like not actually seeing the word rape written makes it you just experience it differently and there are some things that uh kubrick tries to do in in the film that i think are are meant to have a sort of similar effect but i think you just can't get around the fact that you're like witnessing these very violent scenes in in the movie and the book gives you a little bit more distance from them in a way that i think is i just think it's one of the more interestingly just from the mechanics of the writing of the book uh is, is extremely interesting yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's like very interesting to me. It reminds me of a few things. One of them is that Ted Danson once gave an interview to I think Mark Marin. Really, really good. Um, but he said that his uh, ex-wife uh, came and was like learning sign language. So like he learned some sign language with her, and they started talking to each other in sign language. And forty-five minutes later, they were divorced. And there was something about talking to his wife in sign language that just sort of broke down communication barriers um in in such yeah i mean yeah i don't know whether that's true or something but it it does remind me of that um like similarly i had a a professor in 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 grad school once who gave his undergrads an assignment to write in uh you know like the style of you know 300 years ago or something 200 years ago whatever it was and he found that they were like writing about very personal things in a very direct and revealing and honest and, and touching way uh, having been sort of taken out of their natural language and and isn't that interesting hey i, I have no brilliant theory of that but um no, but yeah. well, you don't need one it, it's it's interesting on the face of it yeah 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 um cool uh, uh and then i i like a lot um i'm so bad at remembering the names i thought uh native son yeah which um and, and this is is interesting because i i read native son well before I read Black Boy, which is a, a memoir by the same author and, and deals with some of the same subjects. Uh, but there, there's a very famous introduction to Native Son um, where he talks about, so he, the, the author had already written um, Black Boy and already done done well with, with Black Boy and kind of made a name for himself with Black Boy. Richard Wright is the author. Um, and then, he, but that's sort of a, a memoir or biographical about his own experiences uh, growing up poor and black in the South. And then um, Native Son is actually set on the South Side of Chicago, which was partly interesting for me because I went to the University of Chicago and lived in 
where that book is set. So I like I did sort of know some of the street names. And I mean, obviously, it was 50 years before I was there. But um, so just, just seeing familiar street names and things was and being able to picture the area a little bit better. But um, I, I think the, the, the point that Wright makes in the introduction to that book gets to why I like it so much, which is uh, Black Boy was an extremely sympathetic main character, right? It is easy to kind of to, to like Richard Wright, the character in, in, in the book Black Boy, and to sort of feel sorry for him and to just sort of, uh, it just, it made it very easy to just be like, oh, poverty is bad, racism is bad. You know, like it's, um, the, the main character in Native Son is, really not likable. I mean, you, you basically watch him do some really horrific things. And the point is not that you're supposed to be like sympathetic for him exactly, or feel sorry for him exactly, but that um, I, I, the, the goal anyway is to try to make the point about the, even the unlikable people are still kind of a, a product of their environment and a product product of some of these larger forces. And it's not as simple as just trying to like explain away their behavior. So like, like well, you know, he's, he's not responsible because of racism or something like that. But you know, he just, he set himself a much more ambitious goal with native son. And I think he achieved her. I, mean, I feel like he did, but um, I like that description of like what he was trying to do with the book and comparing it to the, um, the previous, so I, I found like reading both of those next to each other, particularly interesting knowing what the author was um, going for. Yeah, that's interesting. That that brings me to a, a, a some favorite media from this year. I think I prepared more for the from this year angle here than, than, than you did. <laughs> but um, I thought Tyler Collin has done, you know, a, again, a great job with conversations with Tyler this year. Uh, clearly, one of the kicks he's on intellectually is uh, explaining things in terms of people's regional upbringings. Uh, so he likes to say that all literature is regional literature, for example. Um, and, you know, not to rely too heavily on that kind of explanation but to always sort of look for it and think about it and like boy i'll be darned like um yeah you can you can say that it's easy to overfit the one to the other but uh i i often find it very useful to think about things in these terms and and he keeps on finding people who i don't ordinarily associate strongly with their place of origin and drawing what seemed to me to be very like illuminating connections between um, their region and, and who they are. And I think that has enriched my sense of, you know, heritage and and culture and all that. Um, Also, some of this is just like becoming an old man and realizing like (laughs) how, how deeply I am like a nineties kid from the Midwest Mm -hmm. and like how, how, how much that affects how I perceive things like, in this like just extremely deep way. So uh, yeah, I should, I should check out those books. Well, uh, I'll, I'll second that about Tyler Cowan. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've, but we've like, mentioned I, that on the show before, but I, I think but like, this year I agree. He's been uh, uh, at least as good as ever. Yeah. I think probably people want us to change genres at some point, but like, yeah. can, can I just do like <laughs> rapid, can I just do like rapid fire? Some, yep, some, so like children's books, my favorite children's books of 2020 have been the Mo Willems ones. Um, they're not new this year, but I have read them more this year. The elephant and piggy books. I think they're wonderful. I know I like them more than you, Andrew, but I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, uh, you, have, you have much deeper. I, I, I really was making a sort of off the cuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 So no, I'm not prepared to go toe to toe with you on this. <laughs> Yeah. So, right. Very. So that's, 
that's that. Uh, I've been cooking more this year because, you know, COVID, salt, fat, acid, heat. Again, everybody likes this book. I think it's everybody's favorite recent cooking book, but it's my favorite cooking book that I read this year. Uh, my favorite book about technology and like the practice of computing that I read this year was Debugging by this guy Spinellis. Um, I thought that was like really, really good. Um, my favorite biography, autobiography that I read this year was uh, Jacques Pépin's My Apprent- the, the Apprentice, My Life in the Kitchen. I think the first two thirds are better than the last third. So if you start finding yourself getting bored, maybe just stop. But I think it's great and has a lot of deep stuff about culture and management and organizational behavior and ambition and human talent and success. And it's also just like an amazing story about this sort of funny French guy who lived a really cool life. So um all those are really good books that i recommend they're all new to me this year many of them are new this year um and that's that oh fluent python yeah maybe i like fluent python better than effective debugging both really top-notch books and i've only read the first 11 percent of waldrop's the dream machine about the history of computers but um good heavens is good so far and uh, i can see why patrick collison likes it so much um, so that's like a whirlwind tour of, of some books that I've read this year. Great. <laughs> right, why, don't, why don't you choose the next gen? Um, I mean, for me, TV is easy because I watch almost none of it. Can I give a sort of nonfiction and fiction uh, recommendation? Yeah. So for nonfiction, I loved the Jeopardy Champion of Champions tournament. I thought it was just sort of everything television should be, everything game shows should be. I thought it was classy and wonderful. I thought the format was great. Everybody was great. Rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was like a wonderful television event, and I enjoyed the crap out of it. I just thought it was great. Um, I watch almost no television. My favorite modern television show is Billions. My favorite television show ever is Friday Night Lights. But um, I think I'm a season behind on Billions. And right now, again, uh, a lot of these recommendations, they're things that everybody else likes too. But uh, Ted Lasso, everybody loves that show. I love the show too. I'm like five or six episodes in. And it's just like wonderful and it's great and it's substantive enough and it's fun enough. And it's just... I just love Ted Lasso. It's it's I think the only five episodes of television I've seen this year, but boy are they wonderful. Uh, except for the Jeopardy stuff. So where, where I, does I, one watch Ted Lasso? Is that on Apple? Yeah, it's on Apple, Apple TV, and yeah, yeah. I, I really like uh, Jason Sudeikis, but I've not um just I don't know, I don't have the Apple stuff. I guess I'll get it at some point. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Let me give you five. I'll Venmo you <laughs> five bucks. I'll Venmo you five bucks, and you can watch Apple TV for a month, and you'll be happy. So like really, it's not so much. You know, it's just like there's there's so much other stuff out there, yeah. and like yeah, yeah I mean, I guess it sounds like this is worth fatigue. it. But. Yeah, I'll send you ten bucks, five bucks for the month, <laughs> and five bucks for for the one minute that you'll take to like do it. And like, if you want, I'm just saying like, if you want like quarantine friendly things with some nourishment that are also like happifying, just like fucking watch Ted live. It's, <laughs> it's great. And if you don't like it, you'll be the first person. <laughs> what, what have you liked in TV this year? Um, this year specifically, uh, so I mean, my, my tastes in TV generally are not at all controversial. Like I think it's the stuff that a lot of, the, the sort of like poker people would would rattle off um sopranos the wire breaking bad um there's another show that i i would i mean it's it's not really fair to just like compare stuff to to the wire um there's a show on showtime called um 
The Shy is the show that I'm thinking of, which is um, set on the south side of Chicago. It, it has some resonances of The Wire and kind of dealing broadly with similar subject matter. Um, it's not as heavily focused on the the drug trade. A fair number of the characters are only kind of tangentially touched by it, but like you know, it's an it's an area that's heavily influenced by the um, by the drug trade. I, I mean, I think it's just it's good kind of um uplifting at times but not across the board uh but i, I mean i think it is we we tend to depict like these neighborhoods and, and this kind of like drug related things in general in very like dour terms and, and the wire does a lot of this too of, of just it's very sort of heavy and and depressing and there is certainly some of that in, in the show but i think the show also does a good job of highlighting um like black joy, I guess, <laughs> just sort of like people who are in, like just like the, the people aren't just sort of um, defined entirely by their circumstances or just like, Oh, well, you know, they're, they're poor and living in a high crime area and therefore like their day-to-day life is just all, you know, glum. Um, and, and I think there are some like uplifting moments in there that I think they just does a better job of that than maybe the wire does. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to put it in the same category as some of those other shows that I mentioned, but in terms of things that I've watched this year, that might be a little bit of a, a sleeper that, uh, that not, is not on everyone's radar. Um, I, I would mention that. Um, I also really enjoy Bob's burgers. Um, I was a huge Simpsons fan in the nineties. I found it unwatchable by the end of the nineties. And it's, it's crazy to me. Like if you went back in time, 20 years ago and told me like there are going to be hundreds of Simpsons episodes that you never bothered to watch and have no interest in watching um that would, it would blow my mind like I was I was so into the Simpsons when I was <laughs> early in my early teens and it's just it's a different show now I mean I could do an entire episode on <laughs> on this um but I think Bob's Burgers does a good job of capturing a lot of what I liked about earlier Simpsons. Um, the one thing it doesn't have as much of that The Simpsons was kind of famous for, it's not a very cynical show. So, I mean, I think this is very good kind of, um, it's it's like, it's it's funny, it has heart, it's, uh, I'm comparing it to The Simpsons in part because it's animated, it's like kind of an animated family show. Um, but I just, I just find it enjoyable in, in all sorts of ways uh that's been I mean, i'm i'm not guilty about it so it's not a guilty pleasure but uh it's it's you know it's it's not heavy viewing like most of the other shows that i rattled off yeah good good all right you pick a genre uh podcasts yeah i've got a whole list here uh <laughs> i have actually not listened to as much mark Marin lately um early on like when we started doing the show and I, I know i've told this story on the air before when we started doing this show like i had the idea because i really did not have a lot of experience interviewing people that i should go and listen to some podcasts that were famous for doing interviews and um i was planning on starting with uh fresh air uh um yeah i've heard of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I i think I, I, I actually don't listen to Fresh Air. Um, I think that you likely would find Fresh Air to be in a different category than standard NPR fare. Okay. Um, but anyway, my, my intention was to listen to, to, I mean, I had a few on my list. I was planning on starting with Terry Gross on, on Fresh Air. Um, the a random episode of it that I happened to download, she turned out not to be hosting, so I skipped that. I listened to an episode of WTF with Mark Marin, which I'd never heard before, and I just immediately fell in love with that and kind of abandoned the project of trying to listen to a lot of different um, 
interviewers and just listen to like heaps of Mark Maron <laughs> for a long time. Um, so at this point, I've like injected enough Mark Maron into my brain and he's moved on a little bit from where I thought he was doing his very best interviews. Um, so I don't listen to quite as much of that anymore, but I still you know, very highly recommend it. it. It remains one of my favorite podcasts. And I have listened to some this year that I thought were especially good. Um, the one that's jumping out of my head right now, especially since I just mentioned The Wire, is with Wendell Pierce, who played the bunk on The Wire, uh, for, for people who are familiar with that show. Um, that's a, a recent one that stands out for me as being especially good, but there have been a lot of good ones. I'm just uh, not calling all of them, calling all of them to uh, head right away. Yeah. Um, I've got like a long list here. So kind of just sort of. Yeah. So for me, Agnes Callard, she's a philosopher at Chicago. She's done. She's like the best podcast guest of the year. Uh, there's a show called Agnes Callard Adjective, which is an episode of Russell Hogg's show called Subject to Change. That was really good. Um, maybe my two favorite podcast episodes this year were her two appearances on Econ Talk with Russ Roberts, who I think is great and like wonderfully I think Russ Roberts is like a just this very intellectually honest person who's who's doing this valuable thing of just like it's just amazing to me like week after week he like spends an hour or two just being really honest and getting like just having this really substantial honest hard hitting to me uh, conversation about something. So I think that's great. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of tech podcasts. Um, I think Accidental Tech, uh, for me, it's a little bit up and down. I think episode number 374, it's called Screwdriver Testing Harness. It's everything that's great about the show. It's your funny and informed and good. Um, I also thought that John Gruber, uh, John Gruber uh, is somebody who's uh, uh, for which my opinion of him went up a lot this year. Uh he did an episode of the talk show called 30 Years of Tidbits, where he talked to somebody who's been doing this thing called Tidbits for 30 years, and that had just a lot about computing history, and it was fun and great. Uh, he also had Anil Dash on, and I disagreed with a lot of what Anil Dash had to say, but I, I like I listened to the whole thing twice, and I thought it was just like a great, interesting, entertaining conversation, and it forced me to challenge a lot of the stuff, I think, about um, big companies, as always, I'm speaking for myself, not any current or future or former employer. Uh, the Curbsiders, uh, episode number 228, especially, it's it's about medical epistemology, medical problem solving. It's about it's it's intended for doctors or med students, and it's about like yeah, how to think about a case. It's like case studies, and I think they're really interesting. I think it's a good show. There's a show called Reconcilable Differences with this guy, John Siracusa, who I think is like great. And he does a few uh, shows, including Accidental Tech. And he also does this one, again, Reconcilable Differences with Merlin Mann. For me, it's up and down. But um, episode number 140, 140 is the show at its best. I think it's fun and informative and uh, cool and personal without being like excessively personal. So I thought those were all good. Um I thought that Tim Ferriss's interview with Tyler Cowen was great, but I like pretty much everything Tyler Cowen does. A uh, friend of the show, Brian Koppelman, is again plugging along, doing a lot of great interviews. I thought his Richard Marks episode, for those of us 
who are of a certain age. He's the guy who did Right Here Waiting. Um, yeah, good song. And I thought that it's it, it sort of what it, it brought out Brian Koppelman's comparative advantage um, in a lot of ways. It was good about the creative process, good about the industry um, and just sort of fun and friendly. And but like really, there's a lot of intellectual subs, uh, sustenance there with some great stories, too. He's great at drawing great stories out of people. I could keep on going. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but yeah, there, there's a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of stuff. But you are uh, putting me to shame with your level of preparedness here. Um, I mean, I, I would second some of the ones that you, or I guess I did second um, <laughs> some of the ones that you mentioned. Um, I enjoy uh, the New Yorker actually has two. I mean, we're kind of getting back into fiction again. Um, they have a number of, I don't listen to most of their stuff, but um they have two different fiction podcasts, one of which is weekly, and it's just uh, an author reading their piece. Um, I, I, I think it's just whatever you know, piece of fiction appeared in, in The New Yorker that week, and then they have the author reading it. I mean, those, of course, are hit and miss because it's a different author every week, but um, you know, I, I often enjoy those. I think they generally have good taste in, uh, in, in short fiction. And then um, the one that I like even better than that is uh, – the New Yorker fiction. So that one is called the writer's voice. And then there's also the New Yorker fiction podcast where they bring on a current New Yorker author to read and discuss a piece that they like from the New Yorkers history. So you get to hear an author read a different author's work that happens to be one of their favorite pieces of short fiction. And then they also talk about why they like it. Um, Those I would say are more just consistently good because it's not, it's not just like whatever, you know, it's sort of a, a, a very good writer's, favorite piece from you know all of the new yorkers uh fiction history um so i like those a good deal i like uh so just like scrolling <laughs> through my own right now oh this is this is a good format for a podcast nate uh there's a show called writing excuses which is uh three it's, it's kind of a rotating cast of hosts al- over the seasons but typically like three sometimes four writers who are trying to give writing ex- uh advice in 15 minutes or less so it's kind of quick and they do a bunch of these in, in a season and um just sort of like quick get to the point um juicy tidbits if, if you're at all interested in in writing or even you know reading <laughs> um i think those can be interesting uh my biggest sleeper is not another D&D podcast. Um, so I was like somewhat into Dungeons and Dragons when I was like 12 or something. So I'm like the age that, that most people are into it and then had not really thought about it much in 25 years. There's a very popular show called Critical Role, um, which is it's not even exactly i mean i guess it's available in podcast form i think people prefer watching it in in video um it's like apparently responsible for just reinvigorating like people's like the, the general public's interest in, in dungeons and dragons generally um i have tried a few times to get into it and like i really don't see the appeal i mean i guess i see the appeal of it but it's not for me i, I don't really enjoy it that much um but there's another show called not another DD podcast which is a group of uh, kind of improv comics um, playing Dungeons and Dragons, which I think works very well because they are already good at improv and, and kind of working together and they're much more entertaining. They're like, it, it's, I mean, I think it's, it's very funny. When I started listening to it, I was expecting it to be more just sort of just a lark like just just kind of funny or emphasis on comedy and it is often very funny but i would say it is it is surprisingly heartfelt as well um 
I have probably felt more things <laughs> listening to that show than I have uh, with a lot of the other things that we've mentioned or that I've mentioned uh, elsewhere in this, in this podcast. I found it to be uh, surprisingly heartfelt. It's not something where I could point you to a particular episode because it is sort of the story. Um, you would need to start at the beginning. The good news is they just started a second campaign. So the first campaign is 100 episodes long, and those are all like an hour long. So it's, I mean, if you decide you like it, there's quite a lot that you could go back and, and listen to. <laughs> um, but they just started a, a a new campaign, which they are only like three or four episodes into. So you know this would be a particularly good time to uh, get started, and you could get caught up on it fairly quickly. And that's called Not Another D and D Podcast. Sounds good. That is a sleeper. I, I thought that uh, recommending something like the Curbsiders, you know, would 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 be surprising. But that's yeah, that's pretty. That's, that's it, it may that's be surprising. I I guarantee you, more people listen to this than the Curbsiders. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Um, you want to pick another genre? Um, I don't know if I have another one ready to hand. Movies. Yeah, there you go. I'm not sure I've watched a movie this year, but go ahead and tell me yours. Yeah, no, I, I, I was gonna say, uh, sorry, I haven't watched any movies this year. I watched a League. Of, <laughs> I, oh no, I watched. I, I rewatched a League of Their Own recently. That may be the only movie I've watched end to end this year. Oh, I also watched um, uh, Hotel Something. It's by a guy with a real particular style who does a bunch of movies that hipsters like. And this one takes place in a hotel, and there's a lot of saturated colors. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, Napoleon Dynamite? Who did Napoleon? No, Wes he, Anderson. He, Wes Anderson. I don't okay. think he did what? Napoleon Dynamite, though. No, he didn't. That's a different guy who hipsters like. Uh, um, yes, I, I did realize about halfway through that you were talking about Wes Anderson, and I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Hotel something, hotel, what's the one? Yeah, the, the Grand. Grand Hotel. Yeah, so I've watched two movies this year, The Grand Hotel and A League The Grand of Budapest Hotel, right? Grand Budapest Hotel. I liked A League of Their Own better, but I recognize the merits of The Grand Budapest Hotel. And those are the movies I've seen this year. How about you, Andrew? Um, I, I mean, I think I did watch a movie this year. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I just feel like at this point, there's much better stuff happening in, in other form. I mean, I guess I can't really say that because I haven't, like, kept up with, with films, but... Um, Maybe it's an attention span thing. I'm just I'm more interested in watching like half hour to an hour of something than I am in watching two hours of something. And I don't I don't know. I feel like I'm not quite doing the a film justice if I kind of watch like half an hour of it and then pause and do something else and watch another half hour of it later. Like that's I, that doesn't always feel super appealing to me I mean, for a variety of reasons. I just have not. Um, really watched a lot of movies this year and i don't think i have even particularly interesting taste in movies to uh even to like to recommend older stuff i don't think i would be you know, opening anybody's eyes to anything yeah well okay so if you want movie recommendations uh, go to a different <laughs> podcast, podcast. <laughs> although i guess like who is like now like seven years ago who was it who said we should watch star wars and machete order oh yeah that was um john ray, john uh, ray. The creator of the micros yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I've not done that. Yeah, no, me neither. And I, like I, now that I'm I've, interested in rewatching the um the Star Wars prequels. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think I might watch them for the first time when my son is watching them for the first time. That'd be a cool thing, right? Um, yeah, I think that's that's the only time to do it. Yeah. Um. Right. Poetry. Poetry. I experienced for the first time this year. Uh. I mean. I read Sonnets from the Portuguese pretty much end to end, I think. Maybe not in order, but I think they're sort of underrated. And 
Um, yeah, I, I just, I was really taken aback by how great they were and how different they were from my impression of it. I think a lot of people, if they know Elizabeth Barrett Browning at all, which they probably don't these days, but if they do, or if they know those sonnets at all, it's for, um, you know, how, how, how do I love the, let me count the ways. And it, it, it feels a little jingly to them and they're, they're, but it's this a really astonishingly uh, brave and heartfelt series of sonnets that are also technically excellent um, to any, to any lover of sonnets or, or, or poetry, I would recommend sonnets from the Portuguese. And I think it's one of those things, you know, maybe in the same category as like Romeo and Juliet, people have to read a bit of it in high school and it gets sort of classified as somehow less weighty or, or more adolescent than other serious literature. It's in this weird mental category of serious literature that is these days only for adolescents. Um, and, and, but I, I would say go, go read sonnets from the Portuguese. They're amazing. I think. Um, yeah. That's, I don't think I have anything interesting to say about um, poetry, but I did remember which movie I watched this year. It was um, it was one of the Batman, The Dark Knight. I watched The Dark Knight and I thought it was fun. So there you go. The Dark Knight is a fine movie. <laughs> is that the one with Heath Ledger? Uh, yes. Yeah, I saw that in theaters in 2000. Uh, it was in the summer of 2008. So I, I watched the one that came out in the summer of 2008. I was in New York City. I saw it on a huge screen. Uh, I was recovering from food poisoning that I got at Bill's Gambling Hall and Saloon, actually, which is <laughs> fun, fun fact. Fun fact. Uh, so, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. That was. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not not my genre at all, at all. But boy, I liked it. Yeah, I think I, I like kind of feel compelled. There are a lot of people who like things that I like, like these like superhero movies um and so every once in a while i'm compelled to watch but like i watched the black panther last year and again i thought it was like fine um i think it's more like culturally significant than like a great movie um but i just yeah i don't the the whole superhero movie genre uh, i feel like i've tried to give it at least a little bit of a chance and i guess part of the problem is just not liking movies in general but yeah they just they do very little for me yeah yeah, no, it's not. It's not for me. I'm also not like a fantasy person. I didn't. They, there's no nostalgia evident, uh, element for me. Like I read some. Like when I, if you tell me about comics, if you say the word comics to me, I think like the funnies. Yeah, like I, I, I read some comic books growing up, but they were all Garfield and stuff like that. So um, I, I have no real interest in Superman or anything. You seem like uh, you might be a um, Calvin and Hobbes person, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big fan. I also really liked uh, the Far Side. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. Yeah, I don't remember why, but um, yeah, the, the far side was, and I feel like that's something that, like, Calvin and Hobbes, I feel like has enduring cultural legacy. Like, I feel like people still talk about that. I feel like the far side has fallen off a little bit, and it shouldn't have. Like, I think it's also, I think he just started, he did a couple of new cartoons recently. But um, yeah, did did you steal that? Did you steal that talking point from me? Like, uh, I, I'm amazed at how I forgot it is. Yeah, I'm, I, but like we we completely agree. I'm amazed at how forgotten it is. Like it was in that it was like in the Douglas Adams, uh, like whatever. It was like a not really niche thing that like people just loved, and and I'm amazed at how forgotten. Well, like t-shirts and stuff with. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for, yeah. for something to jump off of like the the. The, the the comic section of the newspaper under it. I mean, there were very few things that made that kind of jump. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. Music. How about music this year? Oh, um, I guess this is actually from last year, but uh, I've, of, of like somewhat recent music. I, I've always liked Vampire Weekend a decent amount, but um, the album Father of the Bride, uh, I thought it was just like from the from the first time that I listened to it, I was just like, oh, this is really extraordinary. And partly I felt like it kind of s- spoke to uh, of things that I was feeling at that time um some of which i now feel a little bit differently about since november 2nd but um i yeah i did i really really love that album and listened to it a lot of times including actually while i was making a deep run in the main event which is i now have kind of mixed feelings <laughs> about mm. it like it reminds me of some good things but it also like kind of ultimately reminds me of some like disappointments mm. um so i i have like it, it's now i mean i think it was useful to me to listen to it during that time but it now you know the way the music does that sometimes it's just like so closely attached to certain other experiences in your life that you can't really listen to the music without reliving those experiences which is not always something i'm looking to do um so i i kind of poisoned it for myself a little bit but um just in terms of stuff that's come out somewhat recently uh that's been among i have not really kept up i don't do a great job of keeping up with with new music but that jumps out at me yeah, music's weird these days. It's one of these things that's very fragmented. Not many focal experiences. There's a guy who likes to make fun of me for uh, Brandon Kaufman. <laughs> Hi, Brandon Kaufman. I'm talking about focal experiences. Not many musical ones of those. Um, but given how much I love them, you won't be surprised to learn that my favorite album of this year was the Taylor Swift one that came out this summer. Um, I thought it was great and gorgeous and thoughtful and deep, and it reminded me of The Great Gatsby. And it was like a it was like the perfect summer album for me. So uh, Taylor Swift, that was my favorite album of the year. Um, the musician uh, for, for, for whom my opinion of him went up the most this year was Brahms. Um, if you want like I, I'm really into Brahms now. It's one of the main effects of quarantine on my life is like, oh, my God, Brahms. So there's that. Um, Joe Diffie died this year and then after he died I read a bunch of obituaries and that got me listening to a bunch of his stuff and like I didn't appreciate how varied and really good his output is so like I I thought of him not as a sort of throwaway artist from the 90s but you know uh, a sort of comedy first kind of person but like he really had a substantial and, and good career if you care at all for 90s country music which most people do not but I do and this is a show that I co-host, so you have to listen to it, and I'm being honest. So that's that. Um, what else from this year? Yeah, that, that's those are those are some those are some musical favorites from. I don't think either of these is going to be a sleeper, but uh, Run the Jewels four and uh, Fiona Apple Fetch the Bolt Cutters are both, I think, very good. Mm. All right. Noted. <laughs> uh, good. You got another genre? Uh, I don't think I do. All right. Well, we've been at it for about an hour, so it's, we've given the people an hour of uh, <laughs> maybe maybe deep maybe a deeper trip into my psyche than people want to take. But um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now you've been there. Well, thanks for sharing. You've encouraged me to um, check out a few of those things. I appreciate it. And thank you for sharing. And thank you again to Morty. And uh, as always, our listeners, you're the best. Thank you.
You 